0: This is a message that's really deep on Catherine in my heart uh, because it's so much of our testimony and our story is wrapped around understanding and learning what God's love actually means and what it means not just in an abstract intellectual way, but what it means in a personal experiential way. Um, it, but this is going to be a really interesting series because we're trying to convey the unconveyable. Love is something that, that deepens and grows and over time, you know, our understanding of it gets so much different. I mean, how does a, a teenager explain love to a toddler? Or how does a married couple explain love to a single person? Or how does a couple that's been, you know, deeply in love and married for 50 years explain it to a newly married couple? I mean, it's, it shifts and it grows and it deepens and it changes. So... I'm going to do the best I can. Because, I mean, in a lot of ways, we're just at the beginning of our journey. And we're going to try to use words to convey these emotions and these experiences. But the hope in this series is to help you rethink some of the assumptions that you might have made about God's love for us. To hopefully increase your hunger and your desire to experience God's love. And to share some of the stories and the tools that have helped us over the years. So everything goes back... To how we start the story. And how the story begins influences everything else that happens after that. So the story many of us have been told goes something like this. God was bored. Or he had too much love and no one to give it to. Or he wanted another way to express his glory. So he created the world and put two naked people on it next to a sinful knowledge tree. (laughs) knowing that they would eat from it and be condemned. But he had the plan in place so that even though we'd been found guilty, Jesus would become one of us, essentially becoming a totem for the human race, representing our fallen state, dying, taking the full wrath and punishment of God on himself so that we could be found innocent in the court and be set free. That's the story that that. I think has been typically told about God and the emphasis on the story has, has often been on that courtroom drama. I don't know if any of you guys are into like the courtroom TV shows. We, Catherine and I, we, we watch one. It's funny. There's barely any courtroom in it, but it's called suits. And we just, we love like the, the witty banter and the intellectual and the arguments and who's wrong and who's right. And we've turned the story of God into this, this courtroom drama. We're on the stand And God the judge is about to pronounce us guilty when Jesus stands up and says, I volunteer as tribute. And he takes a little Hunger Games reference there. (laughs) I was wondering if anybody would catch that. And he takes the judgment and we go free. Now, I'm not saying that this story can't be told that way. And I'm not saying that that's not true. But that version is centered and fixated on one thing. The problem, sin, it's fixated on the issue, and God resolved the issue. So what happens next? My question is, once we are let off and we leave the courtroom, what comes next? And where did Jesus go? When we tell the story that way, there's a lot of threads that never get resolved. So much of our spirituality has been built around the concept of how terrible we are. And it's emphasized we're unworthy, we're sinful. And again, I'm not saying that things like that aren't true. But that's a large part of why this courtroom drama narrative has, has thrived. There's a song I heard on the radio a, a couple years ago. And I apologize if it's your favorite song because I'm going to pick it apart a little bit here. I caught myself when I heard it and I literally was like, what? What did I just hear? The chorus of the song goes... You love me anyway. Anybody recognize that one? So I was like, what? You love me anyway? Like, what does that even mean? The, the, the bridge of the song goes like this. I am a thorn in your crown, but you love me anyway. I am the sweat from your brow, but you love me anyway. I am the nail in your wrist, but you love me anyway. I am Judas Kiss, but you love me anyway. I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) That makes sense a little bit if you believe that God is the angry daddy. But I don't think it fits with who he really is. There's a thought, you know, most people tend to think of God as either mostly glad or mostly sad or mostly mad. And I think the majority of us have a tendency to think of this angry God. He's just... Man, sin really burns him up, and he's just, you know, th- th- he's judgment, and that's, that's what he is. The, the God that's sad, you know, some of us, it's just, he's sad because he's powerless. He's disconnected. He's somewhere out there, and the world is fallen and sinful, and he's just sad about it. And then there's the glad God, and I think that's a harder vision to capture. But the glad God is not freaking out about sin, in fact, he's not even overly concerned with it because it's already been dealt with. It's done. Can you imagine that song if if it was a love song? I never take out the trash, but you love me anyway. <laughs> I always forget to feed our kids, but you love me anyway. <laughs> I finished our favorite Netflix show without you, but you love me anyway. <laughs> Think about that. Like, How would that work in a romantic relationship? Oh, I'm so terrible, but you love me anyway. Is that a healthy relationship? That's, it's, it's not right. Here's the thing. A friend of mine likes to say, and, and I love this, this phrase. He says, the war of the ages is over the affections of the human heart. The war of the ages is over the affections of the human heart. This is a love story. It's not a drama. God is not at war with sin that's done. But human affection, our desires, what we truly seek after and fill ourselves with, that's what God is fixated on. He's not an angry dad. He's a lover who longs for our affections. I'm going to unpack, unpack that a whole lot more next week. And, and we are going to talk about Daddy God, but I'm mostly going to talk about God the lover, God the bridegroom, God the, the king who is looking for a bride. And there is a battle, but it's not over how much or how little we sin. It's over our attention and our affections. The courtroom is focused on sin and punishment, the problem, but the love story, that's the real attraction. That's where the story is. God's motivation is not to stamp out sin at any cost, even the life of his son. His motivation is to win the heart of his bride. He didn't just take our punishment so we would be justified. He jumped in the way of the dragon of sin and death that was going after his fiance. Oh, sorry, it just rubs <laughs> me up. Um, I'm going to back up a little bit and I'm going to share my story. A lot of what I'm talking about today is going to be anecdotal. I'm going to try to get more into some of the theological next week. But I'm trying to convey the experience of of how I fell in love with God. Um, I grew up in the church. I, I, my parents were Christians. So I was going to Calvary Chapel and Baptist churches from the time as I was a little kid. And I remember earlier on, we were going to the churches where you had to dress up and wear a tie and I was always uncomfortable. And there was always the, the big old man standing in front of me. He would sing, then sings my soul. And you know, just that was my, my church experience as a kid. Um, and when I finally met God, well, I'll, I'll pause. I, I was four years old when I saw a puppet show, and I remember vividly, I remember the room, I I don't remember the exact puppets, but I remember seeing the puppet show, and I went home by myself, convinced that I had sin, and convinced that only God could get rid of it, and by myself, I went into my parents' bedroom, I don't know why I went there, I just did, and on their bed, on their big yellow floral bedspread, I laid down, and I just ask God to forgive me. And I, I, it's vivid because I remember something happening, but I don't know what. And, and what came after that was interesting because after that, you know, I, I, I prayed the same prayer every night. Dear God, thank you for this day. Help me have a good day tomorrow and sleep good tonight. That was it. Pray the same prayer every night. And I hit these points where I'm like, man, I wonder if he gets tired of hearing that but i just kept doing it cuz it's what i knew but my relationship with god as i grew was essentially okay i passed my litmus my, my litmus test i prayed my prayer now i'm just going to live however i want until i go sit on my little cloud someday and that was what i knew of god that's what i'd been told of god but i still felt terrible about myself i didn't i didn't need a song to tell me i wasn't great I got baptized like two or three times, and I probably went up for like five or six altar calls for salvation. I'm not even kidding. I knew something was missing. I was living as a man set free, but I didn't have a vision. I didn't know what to do next. So in my story, everything changed when my dad sat us down. I was about 16 and he brought the kids you know, together with, with my mom and said, we feel like God has a position for us in Michigan. And we lived in Florida at the time. And he's like, we feel like we're supposed to move. And I'd grown up, same friends, same family, same church, same everything my whole life. And I like consistency. That's kind of my nature. But as soon as he said that, something kicked in my spirit and said, yeah, this is good. This is an adventure that you want to go on. And I told him that, and I said, we need to go. This is what we're supposed to do. So we moved to Michigan, and for the first time, I I experienced something different. People who had a relationship with God that I didn't understand. My my youth group that I went to, actually, my very first night there, a friend came over, and he invited me to a 12-hour prayer meeting. So he was like, hey, you want to come spend the night? Sure. Oh, by the way, we're going to church at 7, and we're going to be there till 7 a.m. So I went, and it was one of the most incredible experiences I've ever had because I started to see what passion looks like. And I didn't know where it came from yet, but I started to see what it looked like and to see it in people my own age, not just in in people I couldn't relate to. And we had prayer meetings at our school three mornings a week, so school started at 7. Three mornings a week, we would meet in uh, oh gosh, what's his name? I can't remember his name. But we met in, in one of the teacher's rooms three mornings a week, 6 a.m. And they would do worship. They would have, like, you know, sometimes he would share something. But most of the time, it was just prayer. It was just prayer. And there was a girl who would, the first time I came, I was a little late. And they're worshiping and they're singing songs. And, and there's a screen and the words. And in the back <laughs> corner, there's a girl on her knees, head down, bawling, just crying. And I hear her praying for the lost. I hear her praying for specific friends that she knows that don't know God. And I was accepted by these guys. Like, I'd never been in a group of teenagers that, where there wasn't posturing. Teenagers are great at posturing. They're great at who's on top, who's cool, who's in, who's out, what are you wearing. And they just, there was none of that. It was instant acceptance And I got rocked by that passion because they talked about God like he was a real person. And I don't think that I'd ever really thought about him that way. It's like if you've never had a steak before and you walk by somebody that's eating the best steak in the world and you see the look on their face as they're picking up the fork and taking a bite and you smell the, the spicy seasoning and you're, you hear the grill as the chef puts another one on does that make you hungry at all <laughs> that's what it was like seeing their passion and I didn't know I didn't understand why that was the hardest thing for me I, why why do you care so much but they did and it flamed something in me when um, when my dad told us about moving to Michigan I felt something and I know it was God it wasn't in words but the first time I heard him in words, a group of our youth group were going to a conference actually here in Colorado Springs, and we got in the van, and we uh, stayed overnight actually in Glen Erie, and in Glen Erie, as I was going to bed before the conference had started, I heard God's voice in words for the first time, and he said, at this conference, you're going to dance, and you're going to cry. And I was a people person, but I was like, I don't want to look cool, I don't dance." <laughs> I'd never danced. I'd go to dances and not dance. <laughs> and I hadn't cried in years. I, I had kind of grown hard and cold. So, but I was like, wow. For, first of all, hearing that, I was like, wait a minute, you're there? Like, you see me? Knowing God sees you, just, man, it messes you up. And it started shifting things. So it, I'm like, okay, sure. I'll believe it when I see it, but sure. So we went to the conference, and uh, and it was incredible, because God's Spirit was there. I, I'd never encountered it like that before. And they did this skit. Um, for those of you who've been in town for a while, you might have heard of the thorn. Is, it, is that what it's called? The thorn. Okay, so... Back then, they were just beginning the thorn. It hadn't actually officially started yet. And so they kind of were practicing on us in the conference. So they had Jesus, and he's, he's carrying the cross, and they're pushing him through the crowd, and he's got, like, fake rubber blood and, and all over him. And they push him, and he falls right on top of me. He falls on my lap. And I've got his fake blood all over me, and he gets up. And I'm looking at my hands, and... It changed because I started to see the direct connection between him and me. I could not see it. It was all over me. And yeah, it's this, I'm feeling this little rubbery stuff. I mean, you know, but still, just, you know, they went through these worship songs, and, and there was one about just God seeing our heart and loving our heart, and it just messed with me. And all of a sudden, as we were worshiping, specific sins, specific things that I had done started coming to my mind. Things where I'd been prideful and, and said something or judgmental or lustful or whatever it was. Like, And I could see specific moments. I could see an overweight girl that I judged and, and thought she was ugly. And I just, gross things in my heart were all coming together. And it was like God was just pulling this pile of, grossness and just putting it in my hands. And the the emotion, it was incredible in me. And I actually had to pray. I was like, God, please let me cry. Let me cry because I, I can't just contain this. And so I cried and I bawled and I shook and I cried so hard. I literally, I was like, I'm probably going to crack a rib, but I don't care. I'm going to, like, I actually thought that was going to happen. And I was just was just bawling and I, I, I could feel his hands then come underneath mine and I felt him tug on that mass of stuff like he wanted to take it away and I, I said God how can I accept this gift you want to give me how can I possibly accept this gift and I heard his voice again and this time it was like thunder crystal clear have never heard it more clearly than that day and I as odd as it may sound, I actually felt God shrug and go, it's too late. You're already mine. (laughs) And then I cried more, but it was happy crying. (laughs) Nothing messes with you like being known and being fully loved. And being known by God, there's nothing more important. When Jesus tells the story of the sheep and the goats, the the story of of people who, they're like, we cast out demons. I mean, the people that are talking to him, they've done stuff I've never done. They're like, we healed people. We did all these miracles. We preached in your name. And he says, depart from me because I never knew you. And the word no he uses is actually... The word for sex. It's the word that's used in Genesis when it says Adam knew Eve and they had a baby. It's not just, hey, you prayed a prayer. You're set. It's intimacy. It's connection. Him knowing us and us knowing him. When I was being wiped out by God in in that situation, it reminded me of um, a story in Luke 7. And there's a, sorry, I'm in Matthew 7. There's this woman. Jesus is invited by a Pharisee to his home. And uh, so he goes over and they're having dinner. And I'm going to have it right here. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Let's just stop that. Can you just imagine, hey, Jesus is at this Pharisee's house. She interrupts their private dinner and just walks in. Think about that. That's boldness. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him. I love that too, because it says, this man said to himself, which really means this man thought And Jesus answered him. (laughs) Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he says. Very receptive, I'm sure. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus says. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The encounter I had with God changed me. And I feel like if we really come down to it, we've all been forgiven much. The question is, have we experienced that forgiveness? Have we encountered, have we touched the heart of God? Has it touched us? That's what changes us. This woman didn't say, I'm sorry. She didn't say, I repent and I'm going to turn 180 degrees from all of my sins and change. She didn't She didn't pray the sinner's prayer. How many people did Jesus say, your sins are forgiven to? You, and how many of them said, I'm sorry? I, I didn't say it. I was bawling my eyes out. I didn't even... <laughs> I couldn't even think. And yet his forgiveness washes over us and changes us. He didn't love me anyway. He loved me because he looked at me and he saw beauty. He loved me and he saw that messy pile and he knew that it wasn't me. It didn't belong to me. It wasn't supposed to be there That was the mud clinging to the diamond. That's why David can proclaim, I'm the apple of his eye in Psalm 17. That's why John, in his book, calls himself the disciple God loved, the disciple Jesus loved. That became his identity Catching a glimpse of how God sees us is what will give us the courage and the presumption to interrupt him in the middle of a private dinner to wash his feet with our tears. Good. Condemnation and shame and judgment and guilt will never draw us to that place of reckless, abandoned love. God sees us and he knows us. As I grew in my relationship with God, like I I had some incredible, I learned and did, and just had incredible moments with Him, and and He spoke a lot, and there were cool things. But life gets busy, and you're in high school, and so I hit I hit this period where I was just not really seeking Him very much. I kind of got busy, and I was doing my own thing. And I was driving my dad's car, filled it up with gas, and I drove off, and I had left the gas cap on the car. drove off with it, and I'm freaking out. I mean, it's not a big deal N- now, I know that, but at the moment, I was like, oh my gosh, my dad's going to kill me. Where's the gas cap? So I, uh, it's, this is about 10 p.m., it's pitch black. We're in Michigan. Trees are covering all of the roads. Literally, I couldn't see anything. So I'm driving down the road, and uh, I go up another, and I go all over, and I can't find it. So I'm heading back home, and I hear God say, pull over. So I pull the car over, and he says, get out and walk to the other side of the car. So I got out, and again, I, I held my hand in front of my face, and the other hand, side of the car it was pitch black, see nothing. And he said, put your hand down on the ground. So I reached down on the ground, and in the middle of my hand is the gas cap. You can't make this stuff up. I picked it up, and I'm, like, blown away. I'm like, did you just do that? Like, <laughs> wow. And... I heard him say, even when you're not really spending time and thinking about me, I am focused on every part of your life. He sees us. He knows us. Even when we aren't paying attention and don't really care. We are carriers of his image and we have to know him if we want to know what's inside of us. So, I want to get practical with this because this is, it's so abstract. I want to get practical with it. So, so here's some tips and some thoughts for knowing him. When we come to prayer, we typically bring an abundance of words. But gaining more of God is actually an exercise of subtraction. Less of me, more of him. We have to let ourselves become a quiet pond that when that drop of water falls, we'll actually hear it. Because God's, he won't shout over a crowd. He is still a king and his words are too important to just be lost in the noise. Which means we have to set aside time. There is a limit to how much of him we can experience just in the course of normal life. And as important as learning that lesson is, we have to set aside time. We have to become a quiet pond. And let that drop fall and hear what he's saying. When we came back from the race, um, the world race, my wife and I did uh, 11 months of missions. We traveled around the world. We did 11 countries. We were a month in each country. And when we came back home after all of that time, um, we went to a restaurant and I couldn't finish a meal. And that's like the first time in my life. I'm like finishing my meal and eating other people's usually. But I couldn't finish a meal. My stomach had shrunk. Our hearts are similar. Hearts expand and contract. How much room for what we can experience and what God can fill us with? It can change. So if we practice the less of me mentality and we learn silence before God and we focus our prayers toward him instead of toward our problems, that is where we're going to start to hear his heart and be changed by it. So here's my encouragement. Take your burdens, take your sin, take your struggles, your fears, your concerns, and get that just messy pile and just bring it before him. And don't pick for him which one to start with. Hold it in your hands, spiritually, and wait. And let him pick where he wants to start because you're going to find a lot of times he's going to pick something that you didn't expect a long time ago, I had this this picture, um, and I wrote it down, but it was, a, it was I, I say picture, I don't want to call it a vision, maybe it was a vision, it, but it was vivid, and it was of Jesus walking around my heart, and my, it was as if my heart was a house, so he's walking through this house, and it is a mess, it is a wreck, there's piles of things everywhere, and the closet's messy, and so like, he's walking through it, and I'm like trying to, pick things up and i'm like trying to fix the closet and i'm like hold on hold on hold on because i'm trying to put it all together but he's walking through with no judgment he's not even looking at the piles he's just enjoying being there and he finds something and essentially something that represents a dream of mine and he picks it up and looks at it and then looks at me like hmm what are we going to do with this he didn't pay any attention to the mess. I'm like, a part of me, is, it's, it's almost anticlimactic because you would expect, yeah, you got to clean this and yeah, we're going to work on that next. But he picked up a dream and looked at that without judgment. I think we need to give God a chance to do that with our hearts. We're so concerned sometimes with, well, what if he sees this and what if he sees that? He already seen, he's, walk, he's, walk, he's, he's familiar with the paths of your heart and he's not afraid of it. He's in love with it, actually. So I'm going to pause with one one last thought that, that has impacted me and how I pursue and why I pursue. I pursue because, because of what I've learned that he sees in me. And I look at other people in the Bible that have pursued and other great, you know spiritual warriors and and people that have just got these amazing stories. And I look at them, and since I encountered God um, as a teenager, I look at those people now, and now I say, I can have what you have. I could have more. There's no limit. There's no intimacy boundary. There's no limit to how close we can be to God. There's no limit to the encounters and the experiences and the, vi- the words, the visions, the miracles. I don't know. I don't, I'm not going to box him in. All I know is I'm in love with him. I want him. He's in love with me. And man, if I can be closer than Paul, I'm going to try to be closer than Paul. If I can be closer than David, I'm going to try to be closer than David. And it's not about competition. It's about, man, this is my story and it's possible. It's possible. There's nothing that says it's not possible. So I'm going to pursue that. Because the closer I am to him, the more me I become. So I hope that's just beginning to convey this topic, this idea. We're going to dig in more over the next few weeks. um, But let's pray. God, thank you that you've captured us. actually Haley would you mind playing God thank you that you've captured us that you love us that sin is not a problem for you that you will push everything out of your way that hinders your bride God I just ask that you would show us what it means to be loved by you. Show us how you see us. God, for anybody that's never had a revelation of what you see when you look at them, God, I pray that you would bring that forth now, God. God, I ask that as they take time with you, that you would show them how you view them. God, anybody who's got that massive stuff, I mean, it builds back up in all of us over time. I just ask that you would help pull that away. Tug on those things and give us the courage to release them into your hands. God, I pray that you would expand our hearts, make more of you, make room for you. God, we want to know you. We want to make you the center point, the keystone. God, I pray that that you would speak that hearts would hear words from your mouth. God, like the woman who wept on your feet you would show us how much we've been forgiven and show us how to love with abandon how to love without fear how to love without hindrance and how to experience your love, God I we just thank you